You know, this Bob Hope Bing Crosby movie got dark. On this episode of Moving Panels, we discuss Road to Perdition. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and joining me today in the co-host chair are two people who hope to get to heaven at least an hour before the devil knows they're dead. Please welcome Justin and Brittany Baker. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, It's good to have y'all back for almost the exact same (laughs) comic and movie as we did last time. Last time we did a history of violence and now we're doing Road to Perdition following the uh, what I have heard referred to as the DC Hitman uh, saga. And whenever there's a murder, whenever there's a murder, we're the ones to call. (laughs) Uh, So... For those of you who didn't know, Road to Perdition, the 2002 Tom Hanks movie, is based on a graphic novel. The movie was released July 12th, 2002, and so I am going to ask you both, when was the first time you saw it? Uh, Monday. Yeah, well, Sunday, (laughs) Sunday, two days ago. Look, I'm right there with you. Uh, I watched it for the first time. Was it Sunday? It was either Saturday or Sunday. Uh, I watched it for the first time. Yeah, It actually, I, I think... It came out, um, I believe, the summer between my sophomore and junior year in high school. Yeah, just not really the type of movie you want to go see with your friends. And I just remember yeah. the big thing being, you know, Tom Hanks is a bad guy in this movie. Ish, yeah. That's very off, off character for him. But uh, we'll get into that. But yeah, we're right here at, we, we've just passed the, I guess you'd say anniversary. It's been 21 years but yeah, it was released July twelfth of two thousand two. So I was, I, I think I was on working it. on, I think I was working on Saint Simon's Island, directed by Sam Mendes. Uh, this is his follow up to winning his Oscar for American Beauty. Good movie. Meh, you might say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he definitely went a completely different route. Like he went from let's do a movie where there's just uh, nothing but talking, to a movie where there is very little talking mm-hmm. uh, which i know was something he wanted to do i read a little bit of that but it is what it is but again this is based on a graphic novel the graphic novel was released in 1998 through paradox press which is a division of dc comics that would later absorb into vertigo but it's also part of dc so that means tom hanks has played a dc character there you go <laughs> this is also the same group that published a history of violence which is the the last time i had both of you on <laughs> there's your connection there we go. Uh, it was written by Max Allen Collins. For those of you who haven't heard me mention him before in previous episodes, this is the guy that took over the Dick Tracy comics back in the, I think, the 80s. Uh, he also co-created the DC character Wild Dog, for those of you familiar with that. And the artwork in this comic is by Richard Pierce Rayner, who had a little run in, with Hellblazer back in the 80s. I got to say, and I think we talked about this during um, History of Violence with the the art. The artwork in this is just, it's almost like black and white photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like, I don't know if y'all imaged, looked at any of it. Yeah. Yeah, I looked on Google Images of, you know, just kind of what the cover looked like. Um, I didn't realize, I don't know if you saw this, there's, I guess, different graphic novels they were you know road to perdition then you know there was another word afterwards yeah I can't so remember what they so are. what he did 
so there's Road to Perdition, and then he wrote. Uh, it wasn't really sequels. There was On the Road to Perdition, which was other things that happened mm. while Mike Senior and Junior were, you know, in their travel during Filling this time. In the gaps. Yeah. Uh, he then went on to write some sequels, which eventually led to, I don't remember the, uh, one of them's called, I think, Road to Paradise uh, or something. But they follow Mike Jr. a little bit more until eventually, I think the last one actually follows Mike Jr.'s son, who comes back from Vietnam. Hmm. And then he gets wrapped up in the the mob underworld. So... Yeah, there are sequels. I haven't read any of the sequels. I read uh, this one, and that was it. So, so neither one of you read the the graphic novel. No. Okay. So we've got stuff to talk about. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's get into the characters. We'll start off with uh, the main character, Michael Sullivan. Now, in the comic book, it's O'Sullivan. So if I ever slip, just be mindful of that. Um, which makes sense because he's supposed to be Irish. So it's O'Sullivan in the comic. But this was played by Tom Hanks in a very not typical Tom Hanks role. Uh, what did you think of Tom Hanks in this performance? I I thought he did very well with it. Uh, I mean, it took a little bit, probably five, ten minutes for me to kind of, you know, get my feet under me. You know, seeing Tom Hanks in a very silent, kind of stoic uh role and you know actually being able to kill somebody and not just laughing i think it's probably the first movie i've ever seen where he doesn't laugh so (laughs) i thought he pulled it off i think he did a great job i think if i had seen the movie back in 2002 i would have felt completely different because of what he was making at that time um i knew him more from big and from castaway and so that would have been a huge difference but i think now as an older actor he's doing much more of these roles that are a far stray from what he started doing so now i didn't see as much of a difference but i think when i if i'd seen it when it came out i would have been a much bigger shock to me yeah i I get what you're saying i haven't seen it but have either one of you uh have y'all seen the man called otto i've heard a lot of good things yeah but I know it's also he plays, you know, grumpy old man. So I know, again, that's so kind of like off Grand Torino. Off of uh, <laughs> I don't like talking about that movie. Let's move on. <laughs> so in the book, in the in the graphic novel, Michael Sullivan is known as the archangel. Sometimes they're calling him the archangel. Sometimes it's just the angel of death. Uh, so hmm. the archangel of death, the angel of death. And there are se- several scenes in the movie um, or in the in the comic book, excuse me, where he demonstrates why he has that name. We don't get that in this. No. I mean, we get that he's the enforcer. Um, we get that. I guess you would say that showdown at the end, um, in the rain is probably one of the best examples of just showing just how cold hearted he is as oh, a killer. Yeah. But in the comic, like. Everyone he comes in contact with, if they're involved with the mob, they know who he is and they are terrified of him. Hmm. And I just did not get that out of Tom Hanks. 
I got the hitman part, but you were saying, you know, people were scared of him. Uh, I know what Jude Law's character said, you know, when they hired him to go after Tom Hanks. You know, he had heard of him. And he knew his reputation, yeah. but he didn't seem scared of him. Yeah. And I think the closest uh, we got to that was the uh, the bodyguard right there at the beginning when he comes down the stairs. Oh, the and, former boxer looking for a job. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that was or a the, good scene. Or the former butler from Jesse. But he seems to react slightly when he says his name, when he says mm. Mike Sullivan. So, but yeah, I miss the... If you read the graphic novel, that character, you would not picture Tom Hanks. Like, if you were trying to cast it yourself, reading it, if there was no movie... I don't know if y'all ever do this. I do it all the time. You know, you read something, you go, oh, who would play this part? Mm-hmm. I would not have thought Tom Hanks. I mean, I would have thought, honestly, Jason Statham would have been who I would have. Would have been a good one. Uh, I mean, even Mel Gibson, because, you know, Mel Gibson at least has done action before. If you wanted the older, mm-hmm. you know, older guy, maybe to get a little bit more Tom Hanks-esque, uh, where he's a little bit more subtle. Maybe Jim Caviezel. Yeah, but good. I will say, if Mel Gibson played it, I'd hate to hear the accent. <laughs> he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be Irish. Yeah, would uh, he just, I mean, or Jason, would he just go to his Braveheart accent? Uh, no, <laughs> I mean I Jason think, Statham would be all right because he's British, but mm. I was gonna say I think it kind of for me felt a little bit like John Wick, where like everyone knew John Wick was yeah. by his name. That he was this, you know, bad guy. And yeah. so that's what it kind of felt like to me. Um, and I think when he went and was trying to collect on that one guy and he was talking to the bodyguard and his kind of cold-hearted scene there, I think that's what kind of did it for me. So it was a little different. I felt like after that scene, uh, I was kind of in yeah. it with his character. Yeah, the standoff at the club. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the when he gets uh, betrayed with the the note i mean that's the closest you get to really him showing that he's you know a trained killer um because they i think it they kind of it's a throwaway line in the movie but they talk about how he was a a war hero like during world war one mm-hmm. uh, they kind of just throw that line out there and you, you said john wick i i wouldn't have wanted the movie to go full action i mean this was 2002 so this was what the same year that born identity came out i think so So, i wouldn't have wanted to see that i just i don't know i kind of you know we we did do history of violence and i would say what we see um uh, my mind went blank on the main character uh the actor that played the main character there but Uh, vigo mortensen yeah, Vigo Mortensen. What we see Vigo Mortensen do in that, I think, is more of what, after reading the comic, more of what I would have expected out of the Mike Sullivan character. Mm-hmm. Was just a little bit more skill in what he was doing. And something um, I kind of noticed, and this kind of bothered me with the movie, is how some of the violence is on camera and some of it wasn't. Like, you would see... Um, some of his murders, you know, you would actually see him kill somebody. And yeah. then the uh, I almost feel it was half and half. And then some would just be completely off screen. 
you know, they the camera, I don't know if they were just trying to be artsy with the camera work, but, you know, you didn't really get to see Tom Hanks, you know, yeah, they were definitely magic. This was definitely a, I would, I would say an Oscar bait movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you got Academy Award winner Tom Hanks. You got Academy Award winner Paul Newman. You got Academy mm-hmm. Award nominee uh, Jude Law. And, and then you've got Academy Award winning director. I think even the cinematographer was an Academy Award winner. Um, is, this was definitely made as Oscar bait. Um, and I think that may have caused it to not not really be as true to the comic as it probably could or should have, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But moving on to the, uh, I guess you would say, next m- main character. <laughs> I have I have issues here. And that's uh, Michael Jr., uh, played by Tyler Hecklin, who, again, I, I just saw this movie for the first time a couple days ago, and he's on screen, I'm looking at him, and I'm going, is, is that Superman? <laughs> nope, it's Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a Teen Wolf guy. I, but he's currently Superman. Like, that is Superman. <laughs> Uh, so I had, so here, here's my issue with Michael Jr. This is supposed to be his story. Mm-hmm. Like he's the narrator. We hear him from the very beginning. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's his story. It feels like it's mm-hmm. his dad's story. Uh, he narrates the book, but it is very clear from the beginning. At least it was to me when I read the book that he's narrating as an adult. Hmm. But yet in the movie, he's narrating as a 12 year old child. Yeah. Yeah, Almost probably days, days after all this or the day after. Possibly, but he's not as involved in this movie as he is in the comic. I mean, he's, he's in there with a lot of the comic stuff, the stuff that, He's not involved in. They do a good job in the comic of he explains in the narration that though he didn't witness it, you know, he pieced together the information from the accounts of others. Mm. Uh, At the very end, he even talks about, you know, reading books about his father and how some people thought he was a hero and some people thought he was a villain. And um, so my thing about it is it's called the road to perdition. Now, I know you're a very intelligent person. You know what the word perdition means, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, what, terror or loathsome? I know it's bad. Close, yeah. It will, it, essentially, it means hell. Mm, like, yeah. the the definition is like the place of punishment for the wicked. Mm. So so there's so, a play on words here. It's you great, know, great, ta- great town name. Yeah, so uh, like essentially it's yeah, essentially it's the road to hell and you know, he's he's along for the ride. But it feels like he's I mean, honestly, just like the movie kind of the the catalyst of the movie, it feels like he's just in the back seat mm-hmm. for this entire movie. Yeah, he doesn't really do anything until the last scene. And he still doesn't do it. He still doesn't do it. I mean, I kind of want to rewatch it. I don't know what it's actually called. I always call it the Indiana Jones effect, where you know you could take him Indiana Jones out of the movie, and the exact same things would happen. Well, that wouldn't be true here because 
It's the fact that much. he witnessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the whole yeah, movie would have happened. After yeah. that, though, after he witnessed the murder. Well, know, so his... no, he no. It's not the Indiana Jones. But what he is is what's called a MacGuffin mm, in movies. Yeah. It's yeah. For those of you who don't know what a MacGuffin is, it's a, a story device that helps advance the plot, but otherwise serves no purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like Janet Lee's character of Marion in Psycho, this is where the original I. Uh, uh, concept of the MacGuffin came from her stealing the money means nothing to the movie because mm-hmm. once once Norman kills her and then pushes the car into the the river I mean the money nothing ever comes about the money anymore I mean it just now becomes about uh people trying to find Marion and and uh so that's all he is in this movie now again we'll talk about the comic a little bit later but that was my biggest problem is if he's the catalyst and the whole point of what Michael Sullivan is doing is to protect his son. Why are there so many moments where he just leaves his son unattended? Uh, leaves him in the car, at the diner and getaway driver. Yeah. Makes him. The, I mean, yeah. The getaway yeah. Now driver. he is. He is the getaway driver for those bank robberies in the book. But, it, you know, at least at that point, he's, you know, driving he's becoming involved Uh, in the story yes and again no but but we'll get into that a little bit more let's keep moving on with the characters we've got john rooney played by paul newman in what i discovered was his final Mm. film uh the character of john rooney is based on a real real life irish mob boss by the name of john looney Hmm. Uh, you're a history guy you familiar with John Looney? I've I've heard his name dabbled in the likes of Al Capone and Bozy yep. Malone, yeah. Yep, so just like they, they talk about in the movie, John Looney uh, did have a uh, partnership with Al Capone, which is the same thing they have here, and his son Connor, which was the actual name, again, Connor Rooney is actually Connor Looney, uh, played by Daniel Craig in the movie. Uh, but he's he was real as well. So these mm. are two real life, you know, names were changed because they weren't telling their actual story, but they are very heavily inspired by real people. Uh, what were your thoughts on Paul Newman uh, trying to do his Godfather performance here? Uh, I actually kind of liked it. Um, I knew kind of right off the bat it was him and, you know, he had to be probably was 80s, 90s. I knew he was at kind of the tail end of his career as soon as I saw him. But, yeah, I kind of actually wish I would saw more of him in uh, in the movie. I really like that dynamic of, you know, biological son kind of versus his adopted son, Michael. I thought he did a great job. I think he was probably, like Justin said, I think it was one character that I wish I had seen more on screen Versus his son, which I know plays an important role in the movie, but I could care less about his character. So, so let's let's continue on with that. What were your thoughts on Daniel Craig as Connor? It gave me what Glass Onion, Knives Out kind of vibes. His just dynamic, you know, acting. I thought he did a really good job with the role. I just didn't really like the character so much. Yeah. Um, well, you're not supposed the, to. <laughs> well, it was weird because when I told Brittany, you know, we were doing this podcast and 
I kind of read the description, you know, that Amazon gave it, because that's what we watched it through, it was Amazon Prime. And it said, you know, a jealous son, you know, murders, you know, and all this. I'm like, well, I don't see any jealousy. It was more just because he, you know, thought the kid was gonna, you know, tattle on him. And, you know, and I thought, like, you know, I could see some jealousy because that was what I was trying to look for when we started watching the movie was, you know, yeah. oh, you know, Tom Hanks's character and his family, you know, they're getting the love that I deserve. And I thought that actually would have been a more interesting route to kind of have dove down into. Yeah, I will say that is not in the comic at all, mm-hmm. the jealousy angle. Um, so... I, I do feel it was kind of forced into this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, like Justin said, I think Daniel Craig did a great job in the role. I didn't like the character. Um, I definitely liked him a little bit more than I liked Jude Law's <laughs> character. I don't think I want to be left alone in a room with Jude Law's character. Um, but Daniel Craig's character, I was just kind of annoyed with. I'm like, kind of get over it. I mean, the jealousy mm-hmm. angle, which you said wasn't in the comics. I think they should have kind of went away from that a little bit more and more just focused on that. It was, you know, him worried about the kid, the kid and seeing and, and tattling. And then of course you see, um, that he doesn't even kill the right son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's very subtle, but I actually like that they set that up, uh, because you first have, uh, Paul Newman, John Rooney, when they they're coming to the the wake, he actually calls them by the other name, mm-hmm. uh, and of course he's doing it playfully. But you would think, you know, if Connor heard that, you know, Connor doesn't know which one's which, which they then establish when uh, Michael walks in while he's laying down. Uh, you know, he he asks him, you know, which one are you? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so he doesn't know which one's which. Um, I I will say I wish they played a little bit more because I think Daniel Craig did a really good job with this. I wish they played a little bit more on the fact that Connor was kind of a, a poser mm-hmm. because when, right before or right after he kills uh, Sullivan's wife and youngest son, you actually see him shaking mm. with the gun. Like they close up on that, like him, him shaking with the gun and Part of me sitting there going, okay, that's showing that he's not comfortable with this. So he he puts up a front, but he's really just a coward. And I think maybe if they played a little bit more with that, like, you know, mm-hmm. you said, Brittany, get rid of some of the jealousy stuff and just have it be of, which is more what they do in the comic. Have it be where Connor just feels superior because he's the son of a mob boss, but yet he's he's not actually cut out for the, the job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they kind of did that, that with, he stood up to Stanley Tucci's character, you know, kind of telling him, you know, I'm the next generation. You're going to do, you know, what I tell you to when my dad's gone. And then when, uh, Paul Newman's hitting him after you know, yeah. he found out he murdered the family you know, you see him cower and cry yeah. and all that. Yeah, I was going to say also when he even, you know, he asked him to apologize. You know, he can't even do that yeah. appropriately. He asked him three times mm-hmm. to do it and still you kind of don't believe it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because he said, what, what does he say? He says, I, I think I'd, I'd like, like to apologize, or, or I'd, I'd like to apologize. Like to apologize. Yeah. I, I, I did like that dynamic a little bit. You you brought up Stanley Tucci. Uh, well, we can mention him because he also played a real person. They didn't even change the name of Frank Nitty. Uh, I will ask you again as the history uh, teacher. Uh, can you tell people who Frank Nitty is? Uh, that one I am not as familiar with. I do know he had mob connections, but I'm not entirely sure. I couldn't tell you what he really did. So he was the one who controlled Al Capone, Capone's money operations. Ah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and so when Al Capone was arrested for tax, tax evasion, so was Frank Nitti. Hmm. Um, however, Frank Nitti, I think, only served maybe like two years versus Capone's like 14. Mm-hmm. Basically just being the so, money man. Yeah, so Frank Nitti actually, when he got out, he took control of the Chicago mob. Like he became, he replaced Al Capone as the head of the mob. Honestly, the rest of the cast, I didn't think they're in the movie enough to talk about them, but I can mention real quickly. You had Jennifer Jason Lee playing Annie Sullivan, uh, Liam Aiken playing Peter Sullivan, Dylan Baker in a very bizarre no performance. Uh, yeah. Uh, as Alexander Rance and then Syrian Hines, uh, who is killed right off the bat at the beginning as Finn McGovern. Uh, so unless y'all have anything to say about those characters, I, I'm i I'm good there. I mean, I think the only other one would be Jude Law's character. Who... Oh, I totally skipped Jude Law. I have it on here. <laughs> yeah, I the one I said I wouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't, don't feel bad. Brittany wanted to skip all the scenes he was in because he <laughs> creeped her out. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Jude Law played uh, Harlan McGuire, who is the assassin sent after them. I will let y'all know already. His character was created for the movie. That character hmm. is not in the comic. So was there somebody uh, going after him in the comic? Just the mob. So pretty much it was it was uh, just different, you know, gangsters who would attack him at different places. Like he was just it was Mike Sullivan versus the mob hmm. in the comic. Um, even at the end, you need to go ahead and. Uh, again, you know, if you're you're listening to this, we're spoiling everything. Uh, even at the end, when Mike is shot in the comic, it's just some random mobster, just some random thug hmm. who who shoots him. And he actually even laughs going, you know, oh, I thought you were supposed to be something special right after he kills him. Uh, so I will say I liked that we had this quote unquote villain for Mike uh, mm-hmm. to kind of be the one chasing him throughout. I do have problems with the character. The first being the fact that they pretty much turn him into a comic book villain in this otherwise real, you know, real uh, story. You know, they give him the, the glass shards on the face and, and he's, Ooh, I think sometimes he's chewing scenery in a couple of scenes, especially the diner scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was very good cat and mouse kind of him catching up uh, to Tom Hanks and them. And but like you said, the the diner scenes like I could it built tension, but it was very predictable. I kind of knew exactly what was going to happen with that. And yeah, I definitely didn't need the scene with the waitress. Hitting on Jude Law either. 
Right. Well, and I mean, this is just a funny thing we noted. Uh, we actually rewound during it. At one point, he has no coffee in oh. front of him. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he has a cup of coffee. And I'm like, well, that's some interesting yeah, editing. Very bad editing. You gotta in love, that scene. Yeah, you got to love continuity errors. Uh, I like, I will say this when he's introduced. Now, I knew it because you pick up on stuff really easily when, when you watch a lot of as many movies as I do. Because, of course, Right before he's introduced, there's the line, um, I think Stanley Tucci says it, of, uh, I know a guy, I know the perfect guy, or something like that. And then they cut to this scene, and you introduce Jude Law. So obviously he's the guy. But if it wasn't for that setup, when he's introduced for a, a minute there, especially before the guy with the knife in his chest gasps, I thought, oh, so Jude Law must be playing some sort of like journalist who's going to follow this story and he'll be the one to, you know, tell the story since they kind of mm-hmm. are ignoring the the Mike Jr. telling the story. <laughs> and then, of course, the guy uh, gasps for air and then he quietly walks up and suffocates him. <laughs> so establishing he's the bad guy right off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but like you said, there was just a few scenes in there that I just feel like didn't need to be like when he's with the prostitute. I mean, I understand where he was set up for that big scene, but it was like, there was a good 30 seconds to a minute that it didn't add yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let me go ahead and ask you the question. So of all the characters in this movie, uh, you know, ignoring the fact that yes, almost all of them die. <laughs> if, if they were to do like the, on the road to perdition stories, which took place within this story, who would you want to see again? And who do you wish would meet their end in the bathroom? Because several characters die in the bathroom in this movie. <laughs> uh, I'll go first. Uh, one character I would love to see more is uh, Paul Newman's character. Yeah, y'all said that earlier. Yeah, just going back, just that I really wish they kind of harped on, they touched on a little bit this, you know, divide in him between, you know, loving his real son, Daniel Craig's character, or kind of his adopted son, Tom Hanks' character. You know, I would have loved to have seen more of that divide. And it's like, every time Paul Newman's on the screen, you know, I was glued to it. Um, One that could go, you know, to the wayside in the bathroom, I'm actually going to go with uh, good old Mikey Jr., actually. Um, Okay. I I just... I just did not like the kid. I just thought yeah. he was a little flat. He didn't really bring anything. Like he, he just saw his, you know, mom and his little brother murdered, and he just acted like, you know, he didn't want to do anything. Is that you know, Tom Hanks sitting there saying, you know, I'm here to protect you and do all this, you know, do as you're told. He's just like, whatever. I just want to read. I just want to sleep. Like he gave me. Teenage group vibes, almost. You know, just like, you know, whatever. I'm going to do what I want to do. So I'm going to go completely opposite. Um, I think there should have been more Michael Jr. Or if they, you know, on a sequel or another one. Um, Because they hint at things that are really unique. You know, when he's at the farm and the wife is kind of talking about, like, you don't even realize how much he looks up to you. Um, You know, that was kind of a really cool scene. And like you said, you know, it's supposed to be from his perspective and they didn't really show that in this movie. So if they could have done that, 
um, in another movie, really more from his perspective, you know, as his dad is doing some of these things, even if he's in the getaway car, what was he doing? What was he thinking? Um, I think that could have been a really cool piece. Um, person I would have wanted to see less of, um, just, I've said it before, Jude Law's character gave me the creeps. So every time I saw him <laughs> on the scene, I didn't want to watch much more of it. I think he did a great job. I can't say that. Um, just, it was a very creepy character, which sometimes that's the point. It's kind of like in the Batman movie, the new one, um, the villain in there is very creepy. And mm-hmm. the same thing, didn't really want to see him in any scenes, but did a great job. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have mind this this version of uh, John Rooney, the Paul Newman. I wouldn't mind seeing more of him. I agree with that. But yeah, I, I kind of would have been a little bit more interested if they took out the Jude Law character and even if they wanted the one character pursuing him instead of like they do in the comic where it's just random, you know, unnamed mobsters. If they had actually had Connor, Daniel Craig, be the one, mm-hmm. because in the comic, he's crazy. Like he's a psychopath in the comics. Like we talked about, you know, Daniel Craig has the little shake and whatnot in the comic book. Connor enjoys it. Hmm. Like he there when he arrives, it's a little different in the comic. You know, she's not getting Peter a, a bath at the time or a shower. She's just put him to bed and then she's going to get to bed and she hears somebody coming up the stairs and, you know, she says, Mike, is that you? And he you know, kind of just turns, goes, not quite and smiles. And then you see from in, you see Peter from inside his room, you get the bam, you know, on the, the panel. And then he just steps out and he's like, mama. And Connor's just pointing the gun at him. And he goes, there's my little, uh, squealer or something like that that he says mm. and then and then you, you know, I mean again you don't see it uh you don't see him shoot the little kid but of course he shoots the little kid uh so he yeah he's more he's more of a psychopath in this one so if you had taken that psychopath nature he could have replaced Jude Law I think mm-hmm. <sighs> What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, He's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever. 
like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half Of The Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. All right, so let's get into a little bit more with the comic itself. Now, here's something funny. This is a movie that is based on a comic that is based on a comic. So, <laughs> <laughs> Might be the first. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe. But Max Allen Collins has let it be known, and I even read it when uh, he's got an introduction in the comic that I read, uh, that he was heavily inspired by a Japanese manga known as Lone Wolf and Cub. So in the Japanese manga Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, there is this executioner of the Shogun, and he returns home one day to find his wife murdered, uh, as well as like all of his servants and everything. Uh, but his newborn son, let me say that again, newborn son is still alive. Uh, so he takes his son, and while tending to this baby... I think the baby reaches maybe the age of three within the comics. I'm like loosely familiar with these comics. They He goes on a journey of revenge, uh, him and his son. It is said throughout the manga that they are walking the path of, now again, this is Japanese, so I apologize if I butcher it, the path of Mifumado, which translates to the road to hell. Oh. So there you go again, road to perdition, road to hell. Uh, we, we have it all there. Um, I want to ask you a question really quick. If you picked up on this, what state is perdition supposed to be in? Mm. The Midwest. <laughs> Somewhere with the so, lake. Yeah, because it. So let me tell you, in the comic, it's in Kansas. <laughs> oh. Yeah, would so not have when, thought that. No, the in fact, the farmhouse where they go and uh, you know settle for a little while, and then Michael Jr. returns to at the end. That looks more like what the aunt and uncle's house looks like in the comic. When they start walking down this beach, I'm going where they came from Chicago. (laughs) Where where did they go that they are walking down a beach to a beach house? Uh, Because definitely not Kansas, which is where where the the, like I said, the comic puts perdition. I was just I didn't I, I. I need to watch it back again to see if they make any reference as to what state Perdition's supposed to be in. Definitely not Kansas. Yeah, it could be Michigan with all the Great Lakes, maybe. I mean, they also didn't didn't do a very good job saying that these were Irish mobsters, because the only telltale sign was the music at the lake. Oh, you couldn't tell from uh, Paul Newman's Newman's (laughs) Irish accent? He was, about the he only was one trying one. to do an Irish accent. Uh, so, um, really, there's not a lot, not a lot to talk about. We'll hit some some things here. My biggest issue was with the characterizations, uh, which I've kind of already talked about. You know, Michael Senior in the book, he's supposed to be colder. Uh, you know, a lot more. You know, you said that you saw Tom Hanks as stoic. I didn't see him as stoic as the character is in the comic. So, for mm. instance. When they return, when when he returns to the house and finds his wife and son murdered, he shows no emotion. Oh. Hmm. 
Whereas, you know, in the movie, we, we don't see him see them because we're we're sitting in the at the dark kitchen table with uh, Junior and we hear him scream from upstairs. Mm-hmm. He shows no emotion in the, the comic. In fact, he he tells Michael to go, uh, you know, get a bunch of things together because they're going to leave. And Michael Sr. puts his wife and son to bed. Picks them up and puts them to bed. And then when uh, when Michael uh, Jr. comes saying he's ready to go, uh, he says, well, tell your your brother and your mother goodbye. And he and it's as Michael Jr. I think the panel is him kissing his mom on the forehead. You get one panel of Michael Sr. crying. Mm. And then the very next panel He's straight again telling Junior what to do, and he never shows the emotion in front of Junior. It's almost like they flip that with Junior being, mm-hmm. you know, the very stoic, because he's just sitting there at the kitchen table, you know, I guess in yeah. shock, but he seemed to be the more stoic person while, you know, Senior's the more... Somewhat emotional, but I mean, for me, seeing Tom Hanks in that kind of stoic, I mean, more stoic than I'd used to see. Oh, yeah, for for Tom Hanks, yes, I agree. But, yeah, I just, that was such a, I mean, this was my first time reading the comic when I prepared for this, and just reading, oh, I say reading through those panels, there's honestly a lot of panels in this comic where there is nothing to read. Um, You know, it's, it's told a lot visually. Especially that moment, because you have the panel of him kissing his mom's forehead. Next panel is uh, Michael crying. And then then you jump to the next panel of him telling uh, telling Junior, you know, this is no longer our home. Kind of that same spiel he gives Mm -hmm. him in the movie. Uh, But again, the other thing about Michael Sullivan is, like I said, the angel of death stuff. So the the closest to the comic scene we got was when he is betrayed. When he goes to deliver the message. Uh, in the comic book, it's a guy named uh, Lococo. I don't know if it was the same name in the movie. But when he opens up the letter and reads it saying, you know, kill Sullivan, Michael has two guys directly behind him with their guns already drawn. Hmm. You know, so we don't have the one bodyguard over to the side. He's got two guys directly behind him. Uh, Lococo has put the gun under the newspaper. So that's that's even the same as it was in the comic. But what happens is as soon as Michael sees him reach for the gun, Michael grabs one of the guys behind him, pulls him so that when Lococo fires, he actually shoots his own uh, man. Michael then takes that guy's gun, shoots the guy on the other side of him. And then... Uh, and then kills Lococo. So again, a lot more of a, you know, John Wick, Jason Bourne-esque, yeah. you know, kind of Borax. movement. Even when he visits uh, Nettie, he, it's not as cordial of a, you know, he, he comes, he talks, Nettie says, nope, we can't help you. This, you know, it's a business thing. And he just gets up and leaves. Um, he's attacked in that scene. Hmm. And he actually uses, I don't know what they're called, but the thing that people have on their desks, uh, 
or you see it at restaurants, like they still do, they keep up with the receipts that it's just like a, a oh, spike. The spike. Yeah. yeah. The sp- mm-hmm. He actually uses one of those to kill a guy. Oh gosh. Oh wow. Cause, cause again, he doesn't have a gun cause he's frisked down before he could see Nettie. So he grabs that thing, shoves it in a guy's eye and then he ends up getting a gun and Nettie I, escapes. I feel like they kind of alluded to that in that scene. He's getting on the elevator and that guy gets on the elevator with him and he immediately, you know, he's this big burly dudes just yeah. staring down Tom Hanks. And then as the doors are closing, he kind of gets jumps. Yeah, off but the in elevator. the comic, he would have they would have had a fight yeah. in the elevator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe Tom, Tom so. Hanks just didn't want to fight too many people. Yeah. Uh, but now here's another thing about So I've talked about all that. Here's another interesting thing about the characterization. So in the comic, Michael Sullivan is very Catholic. Um, mm. and to the point where after, after every, you know, event that occurs in which he has had to kill a bunch of people, he goes and confesses. Oh gosh. Yeah, and there's some great shots that then show him like going to Junior and saying, "All right, it's time to go." And you see the priest in the background just with this like <laughs> look on his face. Uh, but yeah, he go he lights a candle for each of his victims, and he goes into the confession booth and confesses. And I kind of wish they put that in the movie. That would have yeah. been good. They definitely hinted. I mean, you knew they were Catholic um, yeah. with, you know, the blessing at the church and that they went to a Catholic school. Um, it definitely was kind of a funny note where um, he mentioned to his son, you know, if something were to happen to him. He's like, no, don't go to the Catholic priest. Go to, and yeah. it was like the Methodist don't, or don't Baptist. Go, yeah. Don't go to Father What's-His-Face. Like, go, go to the Methodist church down the road. Uh, so, so, again, that was... That was uh, with Michael Jr. Like I said, it's again, it's supposed to be his road to hell. Here's another thing in the comic. So in the movie, you see his dad hand him a gun. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't make a lot of sense if Tom Hanks's portrayal of Michael is all supposed to be of protecting him, not only from being killed, but he's essentially protecting him from that life. Like he doesn't want him to be what he is. Um, so I don't understand. So why would you hand him the gun? Yeah. Um, now in the comic, he hands him the gun and junior uses it. Junior actually oh, does, gosh. does kill someone. Um, he actually kills two people in the comic. Uh, the first person he kills is someone who's about to sneak up on his father and he ends up, uh, shooting him in the back and kills him. And then the, again, random mobster that kills his father at the end, Junior does kill him. Hmm. So which aspect do you like better? I mean, I like that they kept his innocence a little bit more in the movie. Um, but I do, I really wish at the end of the movie it was him who kind of killed the bad guy at the mm-hmm. end. Um, you know, I kind of knew, thought it was going to become Tom Hanks's character, but I wish it was. But then I do also really like that they kept his innocence kind of to be like, he's not going to go down this road. He's going to go a different route. Yeah. Cause I mean, that was what they were saying. What 
Mike Sr. is like, I don't want you to be like me. That's, you know, I guess why he treated him a little different. And, you know, keeping that kind of purity kind of goes back and reminds me of that scene and, you know, going back to history of violence, the scene where the guy comes to their house and I can't remember, did the son shoot him or Vigo shoot the guy at the house? But, you know, I, I remember, well, I'll have to go back and listen to our episode on that and rewatch. Yeah. But it kind of reminded me of that scene of, you know, was the son going to do anything? But I kind of like the, you know, Mikey Jr. not getting to, you know, he just couldn't do it. Yeah. So when he kills the guy in the, yeah, I guess, middle of the book, uh, it actually, after he shoots him, there's a panel of his dad, and he says, uh, I'm so sorry, Andy. Like, it's just, you know. And, and then, let, let me throw, throw this at you. Uh, again, about Michael Jr. So in the comic, again, he does kill the two people. Uh then after, after his, you know, his father's laying there dying, he actually gets his father into the car and drives him to a church. Hmm. And his father, he gets his father into the confessional uh, for that, I guess, one last confession. And the fa- the priest also uh, gives him his last rites. And wow. then he dies there in the church. You then find out, again, Michael's been telling the story the whole time. You then find out that Michael Jr. has become a priest. And it actually ends with him in the confessional booth, and you just see the the bubble coming from the other side, and it says, uh, you know, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And that's the last panel of the comic. Hmm. So, he, yeah, he becomes a priest to kind of, you know... Uh, I guess you'd say atone for the things he did as a child. Mm-hmm. So there's another little little aspect. So does does that change your mind at all about how the movie portrayed him? Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt like that would have been a better end. You know, seeing him go to be a priest. I mean, it was nice to see him go back to the family. You know, the farmhouse, but. I mean, yeah. they were there for a total. Yeah, because he goes to an orphanage in the time. comic. Yeah, he's sent to an orphanage in the comic. Hmm. But, I mean, I I think there would have had to be a lot changed. I think they would have had to show them going to the confessional yeah. a few times throughout. Would have had that all um, that. Yeah, so I mean, I think it would have been a good addition, and then it shows, like, yes, that he has all this in his past, but he still ends up completely flipping mm-hmm. from what his dad was mm-hmm. doing and yeah definitely go back to the the point junior's trying to make of how some people thought his dad was you know i guess i always like to kind of see him as a robin hood you know because he's taking from the mafia yeah he's not giving it to the poor but they're robbing banks but they're not stealing from the people they're stealing from the mob yeah so but, there's a line in the comic where they're looking over the money and junior says something about, uh, we're rich. And his dad says, no son, we are very poor. Mm. Uh, and he says pretty much teaching him that the money is not what makes you rich. 
because uh, he said, I think I can't remember the exact lines, but he says something along the lines of, uh, you know, without your mother and your brother, you know, we have nothing. And so, um, again, I think that that's the other problem I have with Junior is that this is supposed to be his quote unquote road to hell as well. Mm. Like, will he continue that journey or not? I I think that and I don't think the movie portrays that an awful lot. Mm. Do you think this, like you said, we're now 21 years since it was made and now everything recycles, I swear, every 20 years. Could this be made as a miniseries um, where they really can spend more time to character build and flesh out some of these things that, you know, you can't do in a two-hour movie? Or just make it a two-and-a-half, three-hour movie. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I feel like a lot of times on this show, on this podcast, we talk about, eh, this would work better as a TV show. Uh but I, I don't know, limited series, you know, maybe. But again, I think I honestly think kind of like you're saying you, you just said, uh, Justin, you know, make it just a little longer. Just add a little bit mm-hmm. more because uh, I really don't think it needs a lot added. Uh, again, I'm OK with the Jude Law character, the one villain being the pursuer. But just to help with the story, I think you just need to add a few little scenes here and there. Um, the only other thing probably for me to talk about is the difference between the John Looney character, uh, or John Rooney character. Um, because since y'all don't know the comic, I'll let you know in the comic, he's in on it from the beginning. Oh, wow. It is actually John who, who tells Michael to go deliver the message. Mm. John wants them dead. So there is no father-son relationship between John and Michael in the comic. In the comic, John is trying to protect Connor at all costs. Um, And then John even goes into hiding. Uh, Elliot Ness is involved in the comic book. Michael Sullivan contacts Elliot Ness, and he's the one that he gives those uh, papers to, the financial records. Mm -hmm. Gives them to Elliot Ness. He tells Elliot Ness where Looney's, uh, or Rooney's, hideout is and then Ness goes and arrests uh Rooney so Rooney's not killed in the comic he's arrested um probably 70 percent of the way into the book um yeah and and Michael says that he tells both Elliot Ness and then Elliot Ness tells John he he would rather uh, John sit in prison because he says he's an old man. So he'd rather him live his life out in prison knowing what Michael did to for everything that what he did to everything. <laughs> so. So yeah. in the comic does what does Elliot Ness have to say about Michael Sullivan on his revenge streak or does he even know? He he knows. I mean, he knows that he's going to kill Connor. I mean, he essentially Elliot Ness even says that to uh, Rooney when he goes to arrest them. It's more I think it's more of the. Of Elliot Ness saying, "Okay, we'll make this little truce right now. You know, but realize that, you know, once you help me, you get this this, 
yeah, I'll be coming after you. Okay, so uh, it's probably they probably alluded to that with the Stanley Tucci, where he, uh, you know, if I give you, you know, Daniel Craig, if I give you Connor's location in the building, then you're done. Like, you know, I'll give you this one. Yeah, because I'm I remember that part in the in the movie. He, so, he gives him the location, and then he's like, "You got to be done yeah. after this one." So in the comic, Al Capone is actually a character. We actually see Al Capone. I do know that Al Capone was supposed to be in this movie, and there is this, a deleted scene that has him in it. Um, but I was okay with him not being in this. What happens in the comic is, you know, uh, he gets Rooney arrested. He calls Nitty and he says, hey, Rooney's done. He goes, does this change anything? Because, again, Rooney's not going to be able to help with your business anymore. So does this change anything? And Nettie says no, because his he still has things in motion. You know, we're still making money off of him. Uh, so this doesn't change anything. Michael then disguises himself, <laughs> gets aboard a gambling boat, gambling ship that uh, I guess Rooney was the one in charge of. He robs it and then burns it. Oh, gosh. And then you have a scene where Nitty and Capone are playing golf and they talk about what has happened. And they said, you know, that gambling ship was pretty much the bulk of the money we were getting from the Roonies. And Capone says, well, then it looks like, you know, we Connor's not necessary to us anymore. So next time you talk to Sullivan, tell him where he is. And that's the way it plays out in the comic. And it's more of a setup, too. I, I mean, I liked him walking into the building and it's just everybody just let him go because they they were all mm-hmm. in on it. In the comic, they are telling Connor they they have to move him. And there's two guys escorting him down and all that. And they uh, they say, well, we're, we're going to check you out. He goes, you know, uh, the car is out back in the alley. And so Connor just goes out into the alley by himself. And of course, that's where Michael is waiting for him. Mm. Um, I mean, it's a little bit, it's not just a, you know, sh- shoot done. He he talks to him briefly, uh, shoots him in the knee, you know, pretty much just letting him know, you know, this is for my wife and child, you know, this is, this is it. And then think it shoots him in the head. Uh, then he proceeds to tell the, the two bodyguards, he goes, let, uh, let Nitty know that as far as I'm concerned, this is over. That was how that that played out in the comic. So, what what are your thoughts on the the ending? Would you, do you like the just walk in and shoot you in the bathtub, or would you like it to have been just a little more? Maybe him actually confronting Connor. I feel him just shooting him in the bathtub and then walking out would have probably been more realistic, but in the sake of a movie, I kind of felt like I wanted him to kind of flesh things out and, you know, talk to Connor and then shoot him. I I liked the buildup, like you said, where everyone just kind of let him pass. I feel like that was a really good buildup. I do wish there was a little bit more, even just it it was in the bathroom, but I think maybe what they were trying to say is he's not important. It's really Michael and his son that's Ooh, I like important. That. 
Um, yeah. And so I think they're like, you know, we don't want to spend any more mm-hmm. time on his character, and that's why they made it so quick. Yeah. Uh, but like Justin said, for the movie's sake, I wish there was a little bit more. Yeah, because you don't even get him walking in, looking down. Like, you don't even get the shot of Daniel Craig, like, realizing. Mm-hmm. You know, There's no oh, scream well, or anything. Uh, yeah, but even the look, just a look on his face of, you know, surprise or the look of, well, it's over, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, he's he's as vulnerable as you can be. He's laying in the bathtub. So, uh, I mean, you do get to see what he looked, you know, you get to see him dead in the bathtub. But yeah, I I, I think it was just a little too anticlimactic of him just walking in and he shoots him off frame uh but but let me point something out to y'all in terms of again the the cinematography and storytelling one of the first times we see uh tom hanks is when he comes home and junior is talking to him tom hanks is seen framed in a doorway Mm -hmm. in my you know kind of analysis is they're showing that there is a separation that his father is in a different place than his son. Um, to then have this final moment of when it all ends, you also see Tom Hanks through a doorway as he mm-hmm. shoots Connor. I think you get that wrap around again of he hasn't actually left this world. That the even the you know the journey they've been on, he is still separate. I think they then they did it slightly again at the end with the fact that you see him through a window when he is shot. Um, and then if you think about it, even though he kind of steps in when it is revealed that Junior is behind Jude Law. Junior is standing on the other side of a doorway. Mm-hmm. And then he steps in. I'm pretty sure he stepped in. And that was when you see Tom Hanks uh, shake his head. That's tell him, yeah, pretty yeah, much telling him, don't enter this world. Uh, so I just, again, me kind of with my film studies and all that, you know, mm-hmm. looking at those scenes, I'm going, that is amazing storytelling in my opinion. So all right, any, any last thoughts about the movie before we get into our final decision? Uh, one thing, the very kind of end, okay. I didn't even know that the aunt Sarah was dead. Yeah. It, they it show was, it in I the comic, to, but I had to yeah. look it up on Google. Cause I knew, you know, she's at the wake and you know, she gets the phone call and Jude Law's character kind of overhears her, but then she's just never seen again. There's no mention of her, and then they get to her yeah. house, and it's just empty, and it's like, okay, well, you know, she's you know, said it was going to be a couple of days. We don't know how long, you know, the movie took place for. You know, was she just not It's there? supposed to be and, six weeks. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we were just, I was at least very just kind of confused, like, well, where, where's the, where's the aunt, you know, in all this? And it's just kind of, kind of got left behind, you know, was she dead or was she not dead? 
Yeah, in the comic, it's actually the uncle that uh, Mike is always in contact with. And they're having to delay getting there because the uncle keeps saying, uh, like, I forgot, they use some code, but pretty much telling him there are people watching the house. You know, he tells him that there's people watching the house. And so he goes, well, let me know as soon as they're gone. Then after all the stuff with Capone and Capone allowing him to kill Connor, he figures it's all over by that point. So he calls again and his uncle says, yeah, they're not here anymore. So that's when they finish their journey to perdition. But when he arrives in perdition, like he sees their bodies and he pulls a gun and then, like I said, a guy just comes up behind him and shoots him. So I will say the movie wants to give you more of that shock, you know, mm-hmm. of him. You're thinking, OK, everything's good, but something's still not feeling right. And Yeah. So I think that's why they didn't show that the the ant was dead was because I think they were building up the OK, maybe or I think they were trying to shock the audience is what I think they were doing. Yeah. Not think anything's wrong, and and then all of a sudden, uh, Tom Hanks is blown <laughs> through yeah. the torso. Yeah, it definitely was more of a shock value because you know a lot of times you can listen to the music and there's a change in the music tone, yeah. and it continues with just, just this very, very happy kind of like end of a movie music, which they kind of carried out. They just kept that music going, um, and I thought that was a little different because maybe i'm more used to with like the horror movies where you know something's about to happen based on the music and see, this was definitely more of the shock value. see that's odd because i remember that scene being silent like quiet with just the nature oh, and like not hearing anything and then just the you know the boom of the gun i mean maybe it was the music leading up to it and then yeah. it went down yeah i'm old i'm my memory's I, not what it used to be i know you hear the waves because there's a tie-in between that and you also hear, hear the waves in the open. When it's just the black mm. screen and the white letters, you hear the waves. Uh, so I do know there's the connection with the waves. But but uh, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, bag it, stack it, or trade it. I'll let, uh, I'll let Brittany go first on this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I know Justin asked me after the movie what I thought, and I definitely said I really enjoyed the movie. Um so I'm kind of torn between two. Um, I think it's so hard because I want to show other people it. You know, it's been 21 years yeah. since it came out, and I wish I had watched it sooner. Um, so I'm going to say bag it. Okay. Um, I definitely think it would be one, like I said, I would watch over again, something I would want to show other people to. Um and just really enjoyed it for what it was. You know, now that I know a lot more about the graphic novel, I really want the movie to be closer to that. <laughs> but just watching it for the movie as the movie, I think it was a good movie. See, I'm going to take your argument and I'm going to flip it. I like the movie. I would watch it again with others, but I just don't see myself really watching it again by myself. So I'm going to have to say a stack it. It's going to be high up on my stack. So when somebody's like, oh, you know, let's watch a Tom Hanks movie. I'm going to be like, oh, you watched Road to Perdition. You know, he's, he's not laughing and building a house and, 
you know, flying into space and all the usual <laughs> escapades he gets into. Um, but yeah, definitely a stack it for me, a high stack it. It's just a lot of the little things. Yeah. Editing. I always got confused when a new scene's like, what, what's going on? You know, we were here, now we're here. Like, you know, there's a new character we haven't been introduced to. And it would kind of take me a while to get kind of back into it once a new scene. Uh, the diner scene and kind of unfortunately the last scene at the lake house, beach house, whatever, it got a little predictable for me. You know, I kind of knew what was going to happen when the cop, you know, he goes to the bathroom. I knew that he was going to sneak out when the cop left and all that. So, yeah, a, a very high stack it for me, though. Yeah, I was I was torn the same way both of you have alluded. I was torn. I did. I am officially going to say stack it, though. Hey, yeah, it's a beautiful movie. Again, this is absolutely <laughs> I mean, even the the unnecessary rain for that one scene, um, it 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 deserves to be watched. I, I will mm-hmm. agree with both of you on it deserves to be watched. But as I've said throughout this episode, and this is what made me say stack it instead of bag it, is I don't think the story is told correctly. Mm. Um, I, th- I think it's just missing just enough. Uh, you know, having Junior narrate, but then having him as kind of a background character for most of the story doesn't make sense. Uh, other movies have been able to pull off the narration well. I mean, Christmas Story, uh, Stand By Me, uh, mm-hmm. in which you do have the older version of the character doing the narrating. I don't understand why it had to be him at 12 still narrating, especially the dialogue that he says at the beginning. Especially, yeah. um, made it made it sound like he was twenty years older. Yeah, and then the fact that there should have been a little bit more narration somewhere in the middle, kind of like Stand by Me has and Christmas Story has. Uh, Michael Seniors again, I don't think is established well enough as to how in the world he can survive the way he's surviving, and to kind of make him. I mean, they almost make him into a superhero in that rain scene because he stands still and kills all of these mobsters uh, while they're firing. I mean, they can clearly see where the muzzle shots are coming from. Uh, but he he apparently has beautiful aim, and they oh, do not. Absolutely, uh, the DC Hawkeye yeah. with the Tommy gun. And as much as I like the idea of Jude Law's character... I, I said this when I first mentioned it. it. It felt like you're putting this comic book villain into this mob story and that his the actual character didn't work for me. Uh, so. So, yeah, for those little nitpicky things, that was why I decided to put it as a stack it and not and not bag this one. But again, see it if you haven't seen it again. I had not seen it. it took me 21 years to watch it. I finally saw it. Mm-hmm. I would watch it again. I'd like to watch it again just to see. Honestly, I would like to watch it again from a film studies point of view. Uh, just see a little bit more about how they visually were telling the story. Uh, but thank you both for for joining me on this. Thank I, you for having us. Yeah. Now thank I, you. 
now I got to find a, another um, <laughs> mob gangster uh, <laughs> graphic novel turned turned into a movie that uh, that I, I would be able to get both of you back for. Uh, let let um, Brittany know when you find a graphic novel about Agatha Christie books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to take a, you know they they sometimes make like graphic novel adaptations of of books. So mm. never know they could be out there. It could could be interesting. So all right, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, rate and review the show, and uh, stay tuned for for more. We are starting to wrap things up uh, in August. We are going to end our season with our bad movie of the year uh, as we always do our last movie is always a bad movie and it's this year stinker. well this year we are going to do Morbius so yeah get ready for that I've been reading some Morbius comics and it hasn't hasn't made me any <laughs> it hasn't changed my thoughts about this at all so alright thanks everybody for listening uh, See ya. we'll see you next week for today for Moving Panels, I'm Laramie Wells, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and listen to an 80s flick flashback podcast once in a while, you could miss it. Do you love movies of a certain age? Do you miss the days of VHS tapes, VCRs, and the video rental stores? Does the thought of another 80s movie being remade seem inconceivable? My name is Tim Williams. I'm the creator and host of the 80s flick flashback podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by guest co-host to discuss one of the many movies released in the 1980s. We share our first-time watch memories, our favorite scenes, and even learn some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. New episodes are released every other Friday on your favorite podcasting platform. So make like a tree, get out of here, and go listen to an excellent episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. The ad is over. Go home. Go. Go.